In the Bible, it says, fear not, 365 times. That's one fear not for every day of the year. This is Pastor Greg, and this is Live 66. Today, we're in the second church in our study of the Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And in chapter 2 and 3, there are letters to seven churches. Last time we talked about the church of Ephesus. Today, we're in the second church of Smyrna. I'm glad you're with us today. Let's dive in. Hope you have your Bibles and they're turned to Revelation chapter 2. Let's give a brief review to catch us up. In chapter 1, we have an outline given to us of what the entire book of the Revelation is. It's a book that if you read it, you'll get a special blessing. No other book has that special blessing. And the outline looks this way. The, uh, Rev- the Revelation giver says to John the Apostle, write what you have seen. That's chapter one, the things that he is seeing immediately. Write what is. This is chapter uh, two and three. Some even would include chapter uh, four and five in that. But two two and three, what is uh, now? The seven churches are what is now. That is real history, real places, real people. Then what is to come? The rest of the revelation. The things that have not even taken place for the most part in our day and time. These seven letters are unique in chapters two and three. They, they have so much to say to all of us today that if you notice, there are four levels of interpretation that we can uh, study with. There's the local interpretation where these are actual churches, real people, real leaders, real communities. Uh, there's a second level and that these churches are the, the, each of the seven letters apply to all of the seven churches. So there's this, this admonition that God is giving to the church as a whole. There's this homiletic view that he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. He's not only speaking to churches, but he's speaking to individuals. So as we talked last time about the church of Ephesus, when it said, you've lost your first love, that can apply to the church as a whole. It can also apply to the individual that I know I'm touched when I'm challenged with. Have I lost my first love? And then there's the prophetic view, this... Um, this view that if we, if we see all seven churches in order as they're laid out, it actually lays out a pretty clear history of the church from the time of Christ until the present. Powerful, powerful teaching, powerful imagery there. Also notice that to each, there is a name of the church, of course, and the name of the church tends to collate with the message inside. Last time we talked about the church of Ephesus, which, is, which means maiden of choice, a name of endearment. And the letter talks about losing your first love, that intimate closeness. In this letter to the church at Smyrna, we're going to learn that the the root word of Smyrna is myrrh, an embalming uh, substance. And the book talks, or the letter talks a lot about death, that this is a letter of persecution, but that we should not fear that persecution. There's interesting things to see in each of these letters. To each one, there's a specific description of Jesus that are all included in chapter one, that great descriptive of of Jesus there, and that each one of the seven letters refers back to one of those descriptions. To each, except for two, there is a praise. Sardis and Laodicea get no praise. To each, there's a rebuke, except for two. Smyrna and Philadelphia get no rebuke. And to each, there's a closing statement. To him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to each, there's a challenge and a promise to the overcomer. So pay attention to these things as we walk through these letters. Let's jump in. 
Let me read to you um, Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, the letter to the church at Smyrna. Verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Powerful, powerful letter to this church in Smyrna. Well, let's look at some background. This, this church or this city of Smyrna still exists today. Now, we may not call it Smyrna, but in Turkey, it's the third largest city in Turkey, about 300,000, or it's actually more than that today, in population, and it's called Izmir, I-Z-M-I-R. You can look it up in your map. Then it was known as the beauty of Asia or the city of life and strength. It was a powerful city, a seaport city 35 miles north of Ephesus, the city we just talked about last time. They were very loyal to Rome in Smyrna, and they erected even a temple to the goddess of Rome. And this loyalty to Rome was the source of much of the Christian persecution throughout the years. The church suffered intense persecution from the first century through the close of the reign of of Diocletian in the first part of the fourth century. So a good part of 400 years uh, the church was persecuted by the Romans. And here in Smyrna, it was in, in, uh, extraordinarily intense. But as we know, uh, in the book of Acts, whenever the church is persecuted, that produces much fruit for the gospel. Major theme of this letter to Smyrna is a theme of death. And therefore, the response of Jesus to the church to not be afraid, even of death. Death occurs three times in this letter. In verse 8, where it says, Jesus died and came to life. Verse 10, be faithful to the point of death. And verse 11, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. This is only one of two churches with no rebuke. The Church of Philadelphia is the other one. They're not perfect, but they're just under enough problems as, uh, that they can handle on their own with all of this persecution. The word Smyrna, as I mentioned before, has a Hebrew word were a root of myrrh. This myrrh is a, a bitter, gummy substance, but also uh, as a sweet aroma, and it was used to make a costly perfume. Um, it was an ingredient in the anointing oil of the priests, according to Exodus 30. It was uh, part of the uh, perfume part was used in the purification of women, as Esther chapter 2 speaks about. But its primary purpose was for embalming. It was used to um, uh, to place in the wrappings uh, of the of the burial cloths to give a sweet smelling fragrance, and also because it was sticky, it would keep the cloths together. Remember that when Jesus was born, there were three gifts that were presented to him by the Magi. One was gold, representing his royalty. The other was frankincense, representing his deity or priesthood. The third was myrrh, a foreshadowing of how he would be crucified and how he would raise again for our salvation. The the myrrh only gives off its fragrance once it's been crushed. 
That's particularly interesting that, that when Jesus died, because he was crushed for us, the sweetness of salvation is ours. It's also interesting, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6, speaks of the millennial reign still in our future, and that gifts offered are gold and frankincense, but no myrrh this time. Why? Because Jesus has already died once and for all. There's no longer any need for this burial substance, but only the deity and the royalty of Christ remains. So with that backdrop, let's look to the verses specifically. Verse number eight of chapter two. To the angel of the church of Smyrna, right. Remember, angel is, is a messenger. It's not talking to a pastor or a literal uh, you know, angel in the church, but it says to the messenger. These are the words of him who is first and last, who died and came to life again. Jesus is referred to this first and last many times, the Alpha and Omega, the first, the last, the beginning and the end. Uh, he is the great I am, not the I will be, but I am for all time. He's the one that you can't kill. He's the one that even when crucified, he raises again, that he is the one who was the firstborn from among the grave, as Colossians speaks about. He is there in, in physical He's there speaking to the church after he's resurrected from the dead, telling them, don't be afraid. I've conquered death. I've already walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Fear no evil. Fear not death, church, Christian, because he's with you. He's the God who's already been through death. And if he is risen, then we are raised with him. Verse number nine says, I know. I know what you've suffered. I know about the afflictions that you've gone through. And in each of the seven letters, Jesus knows something about them. And he says he is, he, he's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He knows everything. Well, what does he know about Smyrna? He says he knows about their afflictions, the pressure from outside the church, the satanic affliction. In that time, the culture, the government, the laws, the moral temperature brought tremendous outside pressure on the church for them to compromise and, and, and become morally corrupted. Tremendous persecution during this area, uh, era, as I mentioned. The, the Romans and those loyal to Rome were so brutal to the Christians. They fed them to wild beasts. They used them for entertainment in the Colosseum. They would douse them with, with fluid and set them ablaze and use them as, as human torches to light the Roman imperial galas. They were slaughtered by the thousands just for sport. It's, it's one number was given that during this time of persecution, over 5 million Christians were martyred simply for worshiping and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. The letter also says he knows about their poverty. It says, I know that you are poor, but yet you're rich. This word poverty is the word for a beggar who is destitute, one who's lost everything, property and possessions. They've had their things taken from them. The Smyrnans had their families taken from them. They were taken captive and they were murdered. Yet God says, you're rich. How could he say that in the midst of all this persecution, in the midst of all this suffering, in the midst of all this poverty and, and worldly uh, uh, loss? Because God doesn't look at our life the way we do. We look at money, prestige, material possessions, power, position as being signs of rich. God says, that's not rich to me. We're going to find out one day when we go to heaven that he has a whole different definition 
of what rich means. And we who wear the crown of life because we've been faithful to our Lord Jesus, we're going to see just how rich we really are when we get to heaven one day. And we've got to live by faith that way, not to become downcast about uh, the hardships of this life, but realize that we are rich and that we are one day going to reign with our Lord Jesus forever and ever. And this takes faith, but we live by faith, not by sight, right? That's what God has told us to do. We don't count wealth the way the world does. What else does he know? He knows the slanderous talk spoken about them. He says there are these people that are, they call the Jews, and they are, but they're not real Jews. They're a synagogue of Satan. Remember back in that day when Paul was preaching to the Gentiles, telling them that they could come freely to Christ and be saved. But there were the Jews that said, no, you must become Jewish according to the law with circumcision and all of the different uh, food restrictions and so on. In other words, a works-oriented salvation. And Paul said, no, not at all. That those are, that's the law. The law was made to point us to Christ, not to save us. And there's, so there's a synagogue of Satan trying to press them and saying, you're being persecuted because you're not true Jews, that you are not true believers, you're not truly saved. And God calls them, Jesus calls them a synagogue of Satan, that they're opposed to the truth of the grace by faith, uh, or, or rather by being saved by grace through faith, that they're not Jews at all, maybe in, in, in body, but not in spirit. Galatians hammers home this fact that we're not under law anymore. Romans 2 speaks about the inward Jew versus the outward Jew, that we are to be God's people of the heart, not just of the body. And what does Jesus command them in verse 10? It says, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Don't fear. You're going to suffer persecution for 10 days, but don't be afraid of that. Even if it were to come down to death. It says, don't be afraid for I'm going to give you, or rather I give you a crown of life. Don't fear church. Don't fear individual. There will be times of suffering. There will be trials. There will be hardships. There will be people that will oppose you, but we're called to not fear for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. As the, the epistle to Timothy says, some Christians wonder, why would God allow this? Why would he let us suffer this way? Well, I want to ask you, how would you know his grace unless you suffered? How would you know his mercy unless you first faced a trial? How would you know the depths of his love unless you were really in the valley of the shadow of death? How would you know his forgiving power unless you needed his forgiveness? We really have to embrace some of the suffering that we face and not cry out to God at every turn to take it away from us, but realize that these sufferings truly, when we rejoice in them and thank God in them, they make us stronger. The devil is behind a lot of this testing. And Jesus says, be faithful unto death. Later on, we're reading Romans chapter 12, verse 12, where it says, the devil will come after the church because he knows his time is short. He's a deceiver and a father of lies, but we can overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and that we didn't shrink back from this persecution even if it meant that we would lose our life here on earth earth, because we know that absent from this body is present with the Lord. 
Now it says that this persecution will come for 10 days. What does that 10 days mean? 10 literal days? 10 literal years, maybe? Not quite sure exactly, but I find it interesting that there were 10 Roman emperors that ruled during the time of this persecution. 10 different ones. And so it's likely possible that that this 10 years speaks of 10 eras or 10 uh, different rules of these Roman emperors. Do we know that for sure? No, it's it's a guess, uh, but it's really as good as any guess than uh, any other as we look backwards and see uh, how that time played out in the, in the time of the Roman Empire through the, um, the time of the fall of Diocletian. It says, be faithful unto death. Don't worry. No matter what happens, remember you've got your salvation. Remember that you are truly immortal until God is through with you. And then when he's done with your purpose on this earth, then he's going to take you to himself where you will live forever and ever. Romans 2, 10 to 11 says, And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Listen, when we overcome and we stand firm and we do not give in to the temptations of this world and we do not shrink back from the pressure of the world, we will have a crown of life. And it's not because you've resisted. It's because Jesus Christ died on the cross and he will give you strength to stand firm like the, 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 um, the armor of God, that, that, that armor is on to stand, not to take ground, but to stand our ground, the ground that has already been won by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We've already won the battle. We are already victors. We just stand firm. And that crown of righteousness, that crown of life will be given to us. This crown is the symbol that life with Jesus is the real promise. Like the ring in a marriage is a symbol, but the marriage itself is the real promise. And Jesus says, you will not suffer the second death. That second death is not a second death of the body. That's eternity in hell. And those who remain faithful to our Lord Jesus will not experience the second death, but they will rule and reign with him forever and ever. You know, in today's day, there's a lot of pressure on the church. There's a lot of, of pressure for the church to compromise, for the church to no longer stand for what is right and what is true, to no longer um, hold to the values of the scriptures. Many pastors and many churches have chosen to dilute the gospel, to lighten the commands in order to, to be uh, culturally um, um, connected or, or relatable. And I want to tell you right now, that's a false, and, and a, a false thing, and it's a dangerous thing to do. We've got to stand firm in the preaching of the gospel and in the living of the gospel. And if we're like the people of Smyrna, even though we face tremendous pressure, we will overcome when we stand firm. Individual, I hope that you'll stand firm and not let anything sway you. Not politics, not culture, not entertainers, not peer pressure, not work pressure, no matter what you're threatened with, stand firm, stand firm, and you will have a crown of life waiting for you when you see Jesus face to face. I hope you'll stand firm and fear not. Be like the Smyrnans 
and not let anything cause you to fear. Take a fear not one for every day of the year and let's live the righteous life and know that our Lord, who is the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, who died and rose again, is with us. He's with you. He's never going to leave you. God bless you. Until next time, this is Pastor Greg, Life 66. See you next time.